0: And an amen. You know, as we get into, of course, we're going to finish up, I felt led just to retouch a little bit in Philippians tonight, Philippians chapter 1, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and we want to get into Colossians chapter 1, we've been studying about the prayers that Paul prayed for the church, and one of the things, that we hopefully we'll get into it tonight about in the book of Colossians, that Paul is wanting, is, is desiring that you and I and all Christians, are strung from the inside out. And you know, I've ridden on planes in many countries. And there are especially a number of planes that I've rode in Central America in the jungles, these little four-seaters, and then the uh, planes I rode in Bolivia into the Andes Mountains and everything. When you start getting into turbulence, it's amazing how much they can shake. And you just wonder if those things are just going to pop apart. Because it's not the outward structure that's holding it together. It's the inward structure that's holding it together. It's the same thing with a car. It's the same thing with our lives. And they say about the Titanic that when they studied it, that the rivets that they put on there, some of them was made out of good material, but of it, other of it was a material that was not as good material. And as long as the waters were not icy cold... The rivets and everything held the boat together. And they even think that it wasn't the iceberg that made the ship sink to the bottom. They believe that because of the poor quality of some of the material, that because of the icy waters, many of the rivets became brittle. And when it hit the iceberg, then it busted apart. And because of the brittleness of it, it sank. The Lord wants to build in our lives that no matter how much pressure, how hard the wind blows... There's a steel structure of Almighty God on the inside of us to having done all therefore to stand, we are still standing. That's what God wants to build in His people. That this is not the time to quit. And what you're going through is not the time to quit believing or standing on the Word of God. But that He is building a substance in you, substance in you that what makes Him God is on the inside of you. Because He desires a temple to live in. He desires a temple to abide in. He desires a body to manifest and come and abide with us. And so we were reading last week some instructions, but how how many of you know that it's not only knowing truth, but responding correctly to truth. And we want to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. As we finish with this tonight, Paul was saying, In this I pray, here he's praying for the church, that your love may abound yet more and more. And boy, I mean, yeah, we want our love to abound more and more. But look what he goes on to say. In knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent and may be sincere and without offense to the day of Jesus Christ. And we're talking there, may love abound more and more, but with knowledge and with judgment. And I shared with you, and I wanted to go into a little bit more detail tonight, because I had a number of people respond to it. And it's something very dear to my heart, and you'll know why in just a moment. But we're supposed to love, and we do love unconditionally. But just like in a family, I love my children, but with this love, there's responsibilities. There's correction. And in, this, in the church, many times you'll find someone who's such the most lovingest person and just, just can just give and love and love, but many times get hurt and get wounded. And then you find those who are full of knowledge, but do not have a lot of love. And it's all knowledge, but not a lot of compassion. And, and one of the, some of the stories I want to share with you is my mother was one of the most loving women you could have ever met. And I don't say that because she was my mother. Her testimony is still about her love. But because of a wound in her heart, my Uncle Butch, who, who passed away, my Uncle Butch was an alcoholic my mother loved him. And we had an alcoholic come to our church when my dad was pastor in Ville Platte. I was about 13 years old. And my, this young man reminded my mother of my Uncle Butch. So my mom started reaching out to this young man. And we had a little car door, Buick Skylark. You, you might remember those two doors where you, know, you can't get out unless they raise the seat for you to get out. Well, my mom just kept reaching out to this young man and, and, and just showing him love and encouraging him. And he didn't have a car and we'd go pick him up every service, drop him off every service. And one night when we were dropping him off, he made a move and he, he touched my mother in a place he shouldn't have touched her. And I started grabbing the nunchucks underneath the seat because I had a pair of nunchucks. And me and my brother wanted out and my dad was telling him to get out of the car. And my mom started crying hysterically. And she, we, we left there and she was so wounded and so hurt because she had gave everything to try to reach out to this young man. And then in front of her husband and her children, this young man does such an inappropriate thing. And so, you know, it, it hurt her, but yet many times we find that many people who have knowledge but don't want to love, is because they've been wounded. Then you find people who are all love but no knowledge, many times they were wounded. And then later on, you know, she uh, got real close with this girl who started coming to the church. Her name was Sherry. And... Uh, she this This girl was African American and my wife, my mother just started really reaching out to her and then after a few months my my mother started taking our pictures off the wall and started putting her pictures up and then this young girl started calling herself sherry Cobb and uh she would get in the car and, and say provocative things to my brother and I. And then I would say, Dad, you're not going to tell her to shut up before I break her teeth or something like that. You know how kids talk. Uh, I wasn't in love uh, exactly that moment. And, uh, and 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 you know, my mom, you know, you just got to love no matter what. You got to love. And then there were some things that started happening to where our pastors were coming to see my mother and telling my mother, you've got to release this girl. She was calling at 3 o'clock in the morning saying she was getting ready to commit suicide. She was doing all kind of horrible things. Uh, she was living in all kind of different type of gross sin, and the pastors were saying you 've got to release her, you can love her, but you 've got to release her and then uh, pastors, and apostles, and prophets were coming through, giving my mom words you know you 've got to release her." My dad was telling my mom uh, not to call anymore, but the minute my dad would leave the house, my mom was on the phone talking to her, and this went on for quite a period of time and then one night when my dad was gone. I was in Honduras. I was 17 about then. Um, that This girl was sleeping over at the house, and this girl made a, a, a lesbian move on my mother. And then my mother just broke down crying. and she, she said, I just want to die. And two years later, she was dead. A lot of people say, you know, well, what does that have to do with it? Paul says, love more and more but in wisdom and in discernment. Because I can love someone and I will continue loving them, but I've got to have the discernment and wisdom to know when they are just using that love to abuse or get their way or when they really want to change and they want to grow up and do the love walk. Now, if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15 and on, especially in the Living Bible, We're supposed to always love people and care for them. But even the Apostle Paul said that if you mark those who cause division and strife among you. And he goes on to say that if they're causing trouble and they're not walking according to where they're supposed to be walking in the Lord and, and with the organization, what makes the church up. Paul says you treat them as though they are a pagan and you treat them as if they are a tax collector. Now, people would say, well, that doesn't sound like love. That sounds like wisdom. Because you see, we had a situation last year where this this couple started calling people and trying to raise up problems. And even here lately, sent an email to a friend of mine who was a friend of mine for many, many years and, and was saying some lies. And I called my pastor about it. He told me not to worry about it, not to even respond to that email. But the thing about it is, is they were talking and I said, well, listen, I tell you what. They 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 said I was guilty of pride and a number of other things. I said, well, listen, if I'm guilty of these things, will you meet with me and the elders, and will you meet with my pastors to bring this to my attention because I am willing to hear what you are having to say, but I do not want you talking to the members of this church. If there is a problem, you talk to me and the elders because it is written in the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15. If you have a problem, you go to that person, and then you get some witnesses then you bring before the church. I said, would you meet with me and the elders in the past? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, he never wanted to, but he told me, because I love the church, I'm going to continue talking with them. I'm going to continue listening to their problems, and I'm going to continue reaching out to them. I said, my brother, if you don't mind, please just leave it alone. And if you have a problem that I'm preaching error, I've got the big head, or whatever you're accusing me of, I want you to bring it before my pastors and the elders. Well, he never did. So those people are marked as worse than pagans and worse than tax collectors. And when people are bringing deception and people are bringing strife within the body, the body of Christ, Love doesn't keep a silence and say, well, you know, just let them talk, let them lie, let them exaggerate. The love of God says, I love you, and I want to fix this. But in this body, you are going to respect the authority that God put in here. Because even David, when he had an opportunity to kill Saul, it says he had an opportunity to smite Saul. But instead of smiting Saul, by cutting the end of his garment, it said that his heart was smote. Why? He had the heart of God. He had the tenderness of God. And he says, woe is me if I touch the anointed of God. Amen. And so you see a lot of people say, well, you know, you've got to walk in love. You're not supposed to correct. Paul spoke much about correcting the division that's done in the body. Why? Because God is a jealous God. He is jealous over his church. He wants to see his church thrive. He wants to see his church grow. And so when you're walking in this type of love, when you walk in the love of God, we've got to pray that the Lord gives us discernment because some people will just give you the the, the shirt on their back and just help you in every way. But they'll continue trying to take from you where it may come a point where say, Look, I've helped you up to now. Now you've got to help yourself. For example, you give somebody a car and they ruin it. You give them another car, and they ruin it. And you ask them, have you been checking the oil? No. Have you been changing the oil? No. Well, I told you with the first car, you needed to check the oil, you needed to check the water, you needed to check the transmission fluid. Now, how many of you know that what you've got to walk according to knowledge? Now, I love you and will help you, but you done ruined two cars. You done ruined three cars. You done ruined what we gave you. You're gonna have to learn to walk in wisdom. Now you know, people may be saying, Pastor, you're being rough and you're being hard. No, I believe I'm talking wisdom. Because I've I've been in this since 1969. And my dad was a pastor. My great grandfather was a pastor. And when you look in many, I believe in unconditional love, and I believe even though they've hurt you. You forgive and you want to reconcile and you want to fix it. But there comes a point where, listen, you're not going to talk to that person or about that person that way. You're not going to treat the person of this church that way. You're not going to take advantage of these people. And and you're not going. And even at times when I've seen people being taken advantage of, there's been times I've gotten involved. And I said, listen, I said, you know, that person is a dear person of love and would give you the very shirt off of their back. But it's time for you to stop asking them for things. Go get a job. There's nothing wrong with you. You go get a job. and, And I don't care if it is minimum wage. You've got to start somewhere. But you stop living and mooching off of people. Because they're working hard for what they're earning. And, you know, we could just give and give and give. And we could be like the government where we want to give everybody a check. But is it really going to help them in the long run? And that's the point I want to make. With the love of God, more and more abounding, but yet with wisdom and knowledge. That means I love you, so I want the best for you. And the, if the best means this time you're staying in jail and I'm not bailing you out, then I'm, I'm going to cry, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray you get out of jail soon, but I'm not bailing you out this time because I feel what's best for you and what might save your life is to leave you in jail for a, a day or two or a week or a month. You hear it? I love you with the love of the Lord, but what's the best for you? And we'll even see this in a in the book of Hebrews in a minute, but I wanted to write down, if I abound more and more, and that word abound means to exceed a fixed measure, in the love of God, I will be moved with compassion to love, and I will want to help that person, but with the right motivation.
1: And once again,
0: what is motivating me to love and to give, even where I feel in my spirit, the spirit is staying away. Is it a wound of my past? Is it something that my parents didn't give me? Or is it because of past marriages or things I went through my children? Am I moving in love and compassion because of a wound or a hurt? Or am I moving in compassion with the love of God? Am I walking in wisdom? I'll love people who take advantage and I'll love them and continue loving them. But will wisdom one day tell me to speak up and say, listen, I love you, I'm here for you, but you're not going to take advantage of my family anymore. You're not going to take advantage of the church's position anymore. So that's love with wisdom. Amen? Amen. Anytime we love without knowledge. Correction with love rules with relationship. I shared that with you a while back. We must walk in love, but we must walk in knowledge and discernment if we're going to walk in excellence. I love with my heart, I have knowledge with my mind, but I discern with my spirit. And church, don't forget this. You are a three-part person. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in your body. And the, the spirit and the soul will balance out what you end up doing with your body. If I just move with my soulish area, I will move with my emotions. I will move with my baggage that I've carried from the past. If I move with just the soulish area, I may be hurting someone and I may be hurting myself. But if I walk with knowledge according to experience and discernment according to the Spirit, I'm not only saving myself a lot of heartache and trouble, I'm saving you a lot of heartache and trouble, and I'm helping you. Amen. Even with my children, with my brother. With, with different family members that I've had to deal with. I've had to pray, Holy Spirit, now, my soul is pushing me one way, but I'm quenched in my spirit. So before I give an answer, I've got to pray, and I've got to get the mind of the Lord. Because if I respond and do something with my mind, I may be hurting them and hurting myself as well. But if I allow my spirit to guide and lead my mind and lead, and lead, and lead my soul, then I'll be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and what i do will bear fruit. Amen? So I see here I've got to discern with my spirit. All of it's working together. And uh, I shared with you some other things last week. So I wrote this down. Lord, help me to do the right things on a regular basis. Lord, help me to be motivated by love, growing and motivated in love. Lord, help my conscience to be counseled and receive the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And it says there in verse 10, Listen to this, what it says. This I pray that you love me abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve all things. Underline that and make a note of the word approve. Approve all things. And this is what the word means in Greek. The act of testing for the purpose of approving. The act of testing for the purpose for approving, the act of testing for the purpose of approving. You may say, what does that mean? For example, I have people come up to me, and I've always had, Pastor, I need some money, and I'm willing to clean the bathrooms, rake the yard, cut the grass, anything you need, I'm willing to do it. Uh, But can you help me out with some money? I said, okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of money now. And if you don't mind coming in Tuesday, we got some jobs. We could use your help. Tuesday comes, they never show up. Wednesday comes, they never show up. Thursday and Friday come, they never show up. Following Sunday, they come, don't show up. A month later, they come and they go, man, I'm really in a bind. I need help again. I said, well, the yard's still needing raking. Well, where's the love? Oh, I love you. but well, won't you come love your church and rake the yard? Because you told me that you're willing to do anything. Oh, I'll do anything. And when I gave you opportunities, you didn't do it. So I'm testing you to approve if you're approved. Paul said it right there. Not Russell Cobb. Paul said it right there. I'm testing you to approve if you are approved. Quiet in here. It's quiet in here. But it's the word. The day we live in, Pastor, I want to work with the Royal Rangers and I want to work with the young boys. Okay? I want a background check on you. I want you to give me one, and I'm going to get one from the police and the sheriff's department. Oh, I got a record. Oh, what's your record? I had trouble with this young boy when I was younger. Oh, I'm going to test you to prove if you're approved. You know, just because we're called to be Christ-like don't mean stupid and loser on our forehead. You hear me, church? Oh, that's not Christ-like. It's Christ-like in the area of wisdom. You are a liar. And until you prove that you can tell the truth and you can keep your word, you've been tested, found wanting, and found needed. And it's the same way. I want counseling. Okay, here's the schedule. Here's your day. Don't show up. You know, that pastor never wants to meet with me. I got the calendar to prove you had your schedule, but you didn't come. That church just doesn't want to give us money. Before they give us money, they want to see the tithing record. Well, yeah, why are we going to let you steal from the church when you're already stealing from God? Malachi 3.10. Test you to approve if you approve. Amen. Amen. I don't feel like I'm approved right now. But you see, it's time for the real body of Christ to stand up. It's time for masks to melt. And it's time that the inner structure that keeps you together is solid, that when you get in turbulence and that plane falls 2,000 feet, 4,000 feet, and that plane is just falling, and you're wondering when it's going to catch itself again. When it does hit that air pocket and it rises up again, you want to make sure that that structure is able to keep it afloat so that it won't fall and 131 passengers are dead. You've got to put it through the test. You've got to prove through it, okay? So... Praying Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your love was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, would abound and grow more and more to the strengthening of my knowledge of you and of the things you have called me to do, as well as discernment and spiritual insight of the Holy Spirit. Help me to know the right things to do and how to do them with excellence and to remain sincere, genuine. And real in all my encounters with others, and free from blame, even in the appearance of evil, until the day of Jesus Christ's return. I pray that I will overflow in the fruits of your righteousness, which I which I have because of Jesus Christ. Please cause all of this to make me a constant glory and praise to you under all circumstances and in all things. Amen. Now that's a prayer. Lord help me. You know, Proverbs says, how faithful are the wounds of a friend. Not an enemy, but a friend. You know, sometimes the truth could hurt, but it's the truth that helps. You know what happens when we want to tell people what they want to hear? Suicide. Because instead of helping They got hurt deeper. Drunken driver getting killed. Someone overdosing on drugs. That's what's happening by being seeker friendly instead of God friendly and speaking the truth. Christian people committing suicide because somebody did not want to tell you. You live in sin, you'll die. For the wages of sin is death. You continue meeting with them people, Psalms 1 1 says you will end up snared and you will be drawn down by the wicked. So there's places where the truth sets free, even when we speak it in love. But we speak the truth and they go, Well, you don't love me. I've had people tell me, you don't love me. I've had people, you know, even here, I've had people tell me when I first got here, my dad was sick and dying with cancer and on chemo and everything. And he would drive to New Orleans to stay with people in the hospital and visit with them. Always been set was a, such a loving man. And I've seen my dad bend over and, and I helped so many, many people and just Hurt himself. He died at 59. My dad, mom died at 42. My dad died over $50,000 in debt. And, and you couldn't find a more loving man. But then people would try to put peer pressure on me. And they would come to me. And they'd been living in sin. And they were practicing things. And they would go, well, if you were your dad, you would sit right on the side of me and hold me. I said, well, I'm not my dad. And you're in sin and you better straighten up. I'm not going to hug you and hold you on your way to hell. I will tell you the truth. And When's the last time I see him? Oh, I'll see him in another church. They quit our church and go to another church. And they're all happy because that pastor walks in love. He won't rebuke me like you rebuked me. But you said, I want you to tell me what the Lord shows you. Okay? You're in sin, you better repent. Well, that's not what your daddy would tell me. That's what I'm telling you. My dad had two Jezebel running the church. And I asked him if I could run them off. And he says, no, no, we need them. But when he passed away, they were the first to go.
1: Because
0: this is under our new administration. And I want I want the love of my mom and dad, but I want the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I ain't dying at 42, I'm older than that now but I ain't dying at 59 either and this church isn't going to stay at 30, 40 people or 8 people either and it hasn't why? love and wisdom being a spirit church amen well I think I've meddled enough Colossians chapter 1 Colossians chapter 1 and let's let Paul meddle some more Colossians chapter 1. Paul's praying. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You hear Paul keeps going back to wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of His sins. One of the things you'll always find about the Apostle Paul, he was always praying, just keep going and keep growing. He was always praying, you still got purpose. Don't you ever think just because you built a building, it's time to stop. It's just time to take it easy and say, look what we have acquired. No, it's not about just doing one thing. There's the other things behind it. Just because you've reached one goal, just because you've accomplished one purpose of God, just because you've done something that God told you to do, it doesn't mean say, well, praise God, we did what God told us to do. Now let's just relax and let's just chill. No, find out what that other purpose is. Keep progressing. No time to retire. No time to say, watch, well, I did what God told me to do. No, it's time to say, okay, God, we built the building, what's next? We did this, now what's next? Keep growing and pre- keep progressing into new levels with God. How many know there's no, none I've arrived, but I keep growing and keep going on? Amen. And he talks about us being filled with the knowledge of his will, both in our calling and every situation with his wisdom and understanding. Hallelujah, that that's available for you and I to keep moving with God. He also said there that my walk in the spirit would have the fullness of God's pleasure. It would have it would have his pleasure would have his uh, approval. What's God's purpose? That we would be fruitful in every good deed and work. That we would continue to increase in the knowledge of God without ever, ever stopping. And to be strengthened with all might and conviction according to his glorious power. And to bear up all things with patience and long suffering, so steadfast with joy that gives glory and thanksgiving to the Father. Amen. So thank God what he's saying, don't you just sit in your accomplishments. Get ready for God to get ready to do more things. Let's do it, let's take it. Let's, let's go for it. Amen, to push through, to w- walk out the fullest of His perfect will. That will there is the word for arrows, where I'm aim, where I, He's aiming me, I'm going to arrive, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do, that you might walk worthy of the Lord into all-pleasing being fruitful in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness. Now when you study that, and I'm going through these fairly quickly, when you study that, you can write down Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where he says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Now what Paul is praying here is this. You want to live for Jesus? then throw yourself on the altar and stop crawling off. but this is too hard i i'm not, I'm not I, I don't know if I could continue doing this all long suffering and patience to fulfill his complete purpose. Get on the altar and stay on the altar. But it's lonely here oh, because it's an altar of sacrifice. It's difficult to be here. Yeah, because the knife continues to be plunged over and over again. You say, I'm a sacrifice? Then get on that altar and stay a sacrifice. But when? I'm, when is God going to be through with me? When am I going to be released to where I don't have to go through this pain and suffering anymore? When you're done. When you're done, just stay there. Don't be frustrated and quit. Just stay there on the altar. You know when Jesus prayed, Thy will be done, you know what that prayer was? Not only a prayer of surrender, it was a prayer of consecration. In other words, thy will be done means I'm going to go through whatever I have to go through for your will to be done in my life. I'm not going to run away from it. If I have to stay in accountability, if I have to go through rehab, whatever I have to do to get through with it, whatever I have to go through, whatever is needed for me to get victory in in different areas, I am willing to give it all up and stay on the sacrifice until your purpose and your will is done in my life. Amen? Jesus knew what the will was to be, but he knew how hard it was going to be to go through with it. Look at me, in Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Now, now we're going to get some nitty gritty here. That if I'm going to be on the sacrifice and I'm going to say, "Father, Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven," and He's got me in an area where I'm not happy, where I'm hurting. Where I'm not pleased, not only do I need to stay upon the altar, I need to be smiling and rejoicing and watching my attitude while the fire is getting hotter underneath me. Lord, help me. God bless you, brother. Lord, help me too. You're in discipline. Well, I'm tired of being in discipline. The Lord said six months. Well, don't you think three months, can't you let me off three months, grace? The Lord said six months. Well, praise God, thank God for six months. Hallelujah. (laughs) The living sacrifice and being accepted in His will is that while I'm going through this, I'm going to have the same attitude that was in Christ. Because if I have the same attitude of Christ while I'm going through it, then that's going to bring the glory to raise me up out of it. Because look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I mean verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. For it is for discipline that you endure. It is for discipline that you endure. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Oh, hey, that's New Testament. He still has a way of training and discipline. Because I know I'm too hard-headed just to take his word for some things. I'll push him, and he'll go, son, because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to humble you, and I'm going to wake you back up, because, baby, I don't want to lose you. I'd rather hurt you and keep you alive than lose you and see you dead. No discipline in the moment feels good. Nobody feels like rejoicing, but when we come to know that it's He that's perfecting those things that have to do with us. Paul is praying that we grow for His purpose and that we grow in His wisdom and knowledge that whatever I'm going through, it's not just, Lord, have your way with me, but I'm going to have a good attitude while I'm going through it. God called me when I was 14 years old to be a missionary. And I read all the missionary books, and I prepared, and I I was so excited about being a missionary. And that's all I could talk about, all I could dream about. I had a table in my room with missionaries from all around the world. Oh, I was so excited about being a missionary. And when I was 17, I went down there. Oh, I can't wait to get married and get back on the mission field. And when I was almost 19 and went on the mission field and lived there over a period of time, All those years of saying, I can't wait to be a missionary, I was begging God, send me back home. I don't want to be a missionary. This ain't what I read in the books. I saw that other missionary's vehicle. I saw how they lived. Lord, I didn't sign up for this. He He said, you said my will be done. But I did not agree to this. He said, you agreed to me and I see fit for you to live this way. But I want to go back home. Quit. But who was on my throne every day saying, Lord, send me to the lost. Send me to the needy. Send me to the down Lord, send me as a missionary. And now I've sent you. Now you're complaining. You're going to stay just like you are till you learn to thank me for the Mayans who suck in the snails and putting them in your mouth.
1: <laughs> you're gonna,
0: you are not getting a new vehicle until you praise me for this vehicle that you have to get under and shift it by hand underneath in the mud. And you're doing the carburetor with your buoy knife going up the mountain. You're, you're going, until you can thank me for this hut, don't even think about having a house with running water. Until you can, after all I've heard from you, Cobb, That you want to be a missionary, and now you're here. Now you're a Sunday school teacher. Now you're complaining because the kids are rough. You want to be a youth teacher. You want to work with the youth ministry. But now that they have special meetings during the week when your favorite program is on TV, you don't want to work with the youth anymore. And because God's given you a voice, and you say, Lord, I want to use my voice for your glory. I want to use my talents for your glory. Whatever you have for me, God, I want to do for you. And they call practice on Thursday night. I didn't sign up for that. Another time around the
1: mountain.
0: Another time around the
1: mountain.
0: Another time around the mountain. Another time around the mountain. mountain. Lord, I'm tired of not having any money. What do you have? Nothing. Do you have air? Yeah. Then praise me for the air. Do you have water? Yeah, but I'm drinking from the hose. Well, thank me for the hose. Praise me in the midst of it. And you'll fulfill Colossians. For my purpose and for my glory. Amen. Amen. Consecration. Well, hallelujah. I think I'll stop there because I feel like I've made a lot of friends tonight. But but this is a year of maturity. This is a year of growth. I want to grow. And I'm going to go through it. And I'm going to hurt. And I'm going to go through things that I maybe I haven't gone through yet. And I'm going to have all kinds of different things. But you know what? I have learned over the years that whatever I go through, it's worth it all.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because if he would not have put me and my wife in that hut with those scorpions and the mosquito net and everything that we lived in, everything we had, we wouldn't have lasted 18 years on the mission field.
1: He had to teach
0: us with the small things to prepare us so that we could, he could trust us with the big things that were coming. When I lived in a hut with no running water and no bathroom and the shower was four pieces of tin with rusted hose with the neighbor lady standing watching us bathe through the hose of the tin standing on the end and go, boy, I wish I was young again. She told us that. And the outhouse would hose hose all over the place and my wife would put stick pictures over the hose so nobody could see in our outhouse. And when you raise the little wooden lid on the little wooden toilet, the the bugs would just come out by the thousands and scorpions and snakes. If we wouldn't have praised them and decorated that outhouse, (laughs) we would have never had the bathrooms like we did at, towards the end, with onyx floors, Italian ceramic, and the top of the grifferia, the uh, knobs, the faucets and stuff. We never would have had the only house with central air and central heat. The governor didn't even have that. A swimming pool, two outdoor kitchens. We started out in a hut with nothing and ended up with a mansion. And if that could happen in this natural world, I wonder what type of mansion is on the streets of glory. That when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, and he takes me by the hand and leads me through that promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus, I will see. Oh, come on. If he could do that just because we, we stopped complaining and started praising God, dancing with these five-gallon buckets, and my wife cooking on, I mean, mopping up, uh, washing clothes on a washboard, then we could have the imported German washer and dryer that didn't only wash, but dried it afterwards too. And I'm not bragging Because only God could do something like that. But I am saying, for everything we learn to rejoice in, God surpassed our wildest dreams and imaginations. Because He's all God. What you're going through right now, it's so hard, it's difficult. You know that nobody understands where you are right now. But we read tonight, don't faint, don't give up. Let Him complete the work in you. And the Word promises you, and I promise you too, that it's worth it all. He'll make it all up. That person who treats you so bad, he'll make it all up with people who treat you so good. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.